Welcome to the Get Fit with Masi podcast, hosted by your girl Masiel, aka Masi, from GetFitWithMasi.com. I'm here to help you get fit as a busy professional woman of color and teach you everything I've learned about losing weight and feeling great without limiting your diet. On this podcast, I'll be giving you my best advice, trainings, and mindset shifts so you can burn fat, get snatched, build muscle in all the right places, become your own body goals, and most importantly, build a healthy, sustainable lifestyle you can be proud of. So before we get into today's episode, this is being recorded during the time of the coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic. Now, things were all good just a few weeks ago, but they escalated pretty quickly. And at the moment in New York, we are under a quarantine. So this means social distancing and gyms being closed, which also means there is a lot of anxiety and stress, which can often lead to emotional eating. So this episode was not actually recorded during the pandemic, but it's still 100% relevant and it is interview style. So it'll be a little bit longer than most of my solo episodes, but very juicy. And because so many women right now are using food, alcohol, and things that they shouldn't be to soothe their emotions due to COVID-19, this episode is sponsored by my brand new free Corona Quarantine Health Survival Guide. It's an easy three-step system that you can put into action right now. And here are the three things that are included in the guide. Number one, a quick 30-minute full-body home workout that'll help you burn fat and tone up from the comfort of your own home. Number two, a corona quarantine shopping list, so it'll keep your immune system and protein up for two weeks. And number three, a mental health resource guide to help you reduce and alleviate stress. Now, to get access to the free guide, all you have to do is go to getfitwithmasi.com slash coronahealth, and that's spelled M-A-S-S-I, getfitwithmasi.com slash coronahealth, getfitwithmasi.com slash coronahealth. Today's podcast guest is Kristen Winchester. She's a licensed professional counselor in Washington, D.C. and the owner of Her Therapy Space. She received her master's degree from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and specializes in entrepreneurship and work-related stress, general anxiety, identity and self-esteem, relationship and adjustment slash transition issues. In her practice, she mainly uses cognitive behavioral therapy. And if you're not familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's a form of psychological treatment that has been shown to be effective for a range of problems like depression, anxiety, and eating disorders. So as a clinician and former client inside of the Confidence Blueprint Academy, she has amazing professional and experiential insight on how emotional eating and limiting beliefs can prevent us from reaching our fitness goals. She helps women break free from the thought patterns that hold them back from being successful, not just at work, but in every area of their lives and helps them start to thrive. Welcome, Kristen, to the podcast. So I actually met Kristen on the internet. We were just talking before I pressed record about how did we actually even meet each other? And I think I met her like on Twitter because I used to see all her pictures um, and she used to sell, I think, a product on like reducing debt and really helping women with that area of their lives. And then we just kind of stayed connected on the interwebs. And I wanted to bring her onto the podcast. And Kristen, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, 
where you're from, and what you do. Hey, 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 guys. So I am Kristen Winchester, and I am the owner of Her Therapy Space, which is a mental health private practice in Washington, D.C. And I help women literally just change the way they think about themselves and the world around them so that they can achieve their goals and live their best lives possible. And I'm super excited to be here because I love how Masi, you know, talks about the intersection of mental health and fitness and taking care of ourselves because it is imperative that we recognize how our mental health plays into those areas of our lives if we are trying to see success in that area. So I'm happy to be here and ready to jump into it. Yes. So I have a theme this year of having lots of mental health professionals on to the podcast, because if you've been in the fitness industry, if you've been trying to lose weight, if you've been trying to get fit, you might recognize that sometimes the problem is not the exercise and the nutrition. Sometimes it's the emotional things that underbelly those problems. And so before we get into these questions, um, Kristen, what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions you see when it comes to therapy or mental health? So I think that the biggest misconception that I see is that you have to be losing your mind completely to seek a therapist, to seek help with a therapist, right? Like you have to have this severe mental disorder to seek help and that's not the case like i see high achieving ambitious successful people in my practice that just need help like i said maybe achieving a goal and trying to figure out what's holding them back from achieving that goal and a lot of times the stigma that's around therapy and mental health holds people back from getting the help that they need and like i see that just you know, derail their progress, right? It slows down their progress because they are afraid of seeking out help. Mm -hmm. All right. So tell me, how did you even get into this profession? How did you decide like, all right, I want to be a therapist? So when I was younger, I actually had one of my friends get killed by another one of my friends. Wow. And it made me think what was going through his head, you know, what made him do that? What made him snap and kill him? And I really got interested in why people did the way they, you know, did the things they do, act the way they act. And I started studying psychology at an early age. And then once I went to college, I actually, it's funny because I actually went to college for engineering, chemical engineering. Girl, what? Engineering? <laughs> and what I was I was kind of like forced into that, you know, mm. family pressure and things like that. But after the first year, I changed my major to psychology and ended up, you know, going after what I really wanted to pursue. And then I went to grad school for forensic psychology to work with offenders, people in the criminal justice system. Because like I said, that's what I was really interested in at that time in my life. And I worked with offenders for the first couple of years of my career, people coming home from prison and trying to get reacclimated into society, people on probation and parole and things like that, doing anger management groups. And when I left that type of work, I said, okay, I, I think I want to work with a more stable population. And I moved into private practice. So I started working with an established private practice in DC to get my footing and to really figure out the inner workings of running a practice in a business, essentially. And one day I was like, I'm, I'm going to 
gonna start my own. So I started her therapy space last June of 2019, and it's been a tremendous blessing ever since I made that shift. Well, congratulations. Thank I am you. like your hype woman on Instagram, always reposting <laughs> your stuff on her therapy space. And if you guys don't follow, what's your Instagram on um, your hair therapy space? What's like the handle? Is it just her therapy space? Yes, it's <laughs> her therapy space. Okay, awesome. Yeah, she posts tons of like very helpful informational graphics on like how to take care of yourself emotionally, which is amazing. And I think very important for us to see females of color providing this information. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your experience first inside of the Competence Blueprint Academy, which is actually how we got yes. reconnected. And then we can go a little bit deeper into, you know, what really is emotional eating and how we can help some women overcome it or at least start to move in that direction. So tell me a little bit about your experience inside of the CBA. So first, what made you say like, all right, I need to be in this program. Like, what were you struggling with? Whew, I was struggling with it all. <laughs> so I have been on this emotional roller coaster, this emo uh, a roller coaster with my health and fitness since, you know, I was younger, essentially, my whole life. And in my adult years, I found myself going all in with fitness and eating right and losing the weight, but not keeping it off. As soon as something shifted in my schedule or in my life, and I had this transition, I would fall off completely. I wouldn't go to the gym anymore. I wouldn't eat clean. And I knew that it was time for a change because I wanted to see some consistent lasting results. So when I saw that you were doing the CBA, I'm like, this is it because I like how you talk about nutrition heavily, right? And you, yes, you do talk about working out and, and the importance of being physically fit in that way, but you focus a lot on nutrition and making sure that you are taking care of your body by feeding it whole healthy foods and making sure that we're staying within our macros and making sure that we aren't emotionally eating so that we can see the success that we want. So I was struggling with overeating, a huge emotional eater. So I would use food as a coping mechanism and whether I was happy, sad, wanted to celebrate, treat myself, I would immediately go to food so I would literally avoid feeling my feelings and, you know, suppressing them by picking up a bag of chips, getting a pizza, getting this and that. And I was like, it's time for a change because if I continue down this cycle, I'm not going to feel good about myself, right? Because I would feel a lot of guilt and shame around food. Food didn't make me feel good, even though it made me feel good in the moment. Ultimately, it does not make me feel any better by indulging in those comfort foods. So I knew it was time for a change. Yeah. So talk to me about what were you able to accomplish in the CBA? Because I feel like you had <laughs> so much success and you were just able to do so many things, but I don't want to speak for you. So tell us, what were you able to do? So one, remain consistent, right? Because like I said, I struggled with consistency before. I would do all of the things that I was supposed to be doing, but I did not stick with it long term. And I am still meal prepping and meal planning to this day based on what I was able to accomplish in the CBA. I was able to learn a routine, uh, you know, that would be 
helpful for me that fit within my schedule that I didn't have any excuses you know I didn't have any excuses to not do those things for myself so I'm consistently meal planning and prepping cooking more healthy fresh foods I'm you know loving cooking now at first I didn't really like cooking and I know you said this before that you didn't really like cooking but now you love it and you just get to try new foods and I'm still eating the foods that I love right but I'm not my life doesn't revolve around food anymore like at one point I would literally say that my life revolved around food like I would constantly think about food all day and it was unhelpful unhealthy um I'm prioritizing more self-care so as a therapist I'm seeing clients all day and I often don't have time to do what I need to do for myself, but it's not that I don't have the time, it's that I didn't make the time. So now I prioritize myself more in my day-to-day life and I've developed new coping mechanisms, right? Because like I said, food was my main go-to and now it doesn't have to be, right? I go to my journal or I talk to my partner or I, I just signed up for therapy, so I'll be talking to my therapist soon. Um, there's a ton of ways that we can cope in healthy ways and it does not have to be food I also lost like five and a half pounds I think and 15 inches overall and now it's been a few months since I ended the program and I've lost a total of 11 or 12 pounds now so I'm closer and closer to my goal and I've realized that it's a journey it's a lifestyle it's not something that I should be going hard for for two to three weeks and then falling completely off you know this is this is a journey it's a long process and if i want to see long lasting results then i'm going to have to put in the work for the rest of my life you know to maintain my results to maintain your results i'm sorry you you cut out a little bit oh I think you're breaking up. The last, the last thing I heard was to maintain your results, right? Yes. I said that I have to put in that long lasting effort, you know, on a daily basis to achieve those long lasting results instead of going, you know, hard for two to three months and then falling off completely, not jumping back on it until a year later. <laughs> I don't, I'm tired of living like that. All right. Awesome. Awesome. And congratulations. Thank you. Staying consistent. Cause I know that a lot of women, they're like, is it true? Can I really say consistent? <laughs> and I'm like, of course you can. If you actually are realistic, right. And like, we're not going to become Olympic athletes and fitness models from one day to the next, right? Like we have to actually be realistic with ourselves. And I think you did a really great job of that. So congrats to you. Thank you. No, thank you to you for giving me the framework. It works. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about emotional eating. Like what the heck is it in your psychological professional opinion? Because I feel like there is you know, so for example, as a weight loss coach, I talk about things from my frame of reference, but I'm not a licensed like mental health counselor or, um, you know, a therapist. And so from your professional lens, like what is emotional eating for those, you know, for women who might be listening and they're like, all right, well, I kind of um, relate to Kristen and maybe I might be an emotional eater, but I'm not quite sure. So what, what is it? And maybe what are some like warning signs or or things that we should be kind of looking out for? 
Okay, so with keeping it simple, emotional eating is simply using food as a coping mechanism, like I was saying earlier. So using food to feel better, right? Using food to be a stress reliever, resorting to food when I need to feel like comforted, when I feel lonely, bored, mad, angry, going to food first, right? So that looks like noticing that you're eating more when you're feeling stressed out. You notice yourself resorting to food to make you feel better. So like I said, instead of grabbing a bag of chips, right, or grabbing a pizza, I'm doing something different now. And I was, it was kind of automatic, right? It's kind of automatic to resort to food when you're feeling certain things. So if you notice yourself wanting comfort foods more often than not, I think that that is a huge indicator because I think when we're emotionally eating, we're not craving a salad. We're not reaching for an apple. We're reaching for, like I said, um, a bag of chips or something that we equate to comfort. So um, it's also when you are using food as instant gratification. Mm -hmm. So you want it then, you want it automatic, you want it quick. And a lot of times that's going through the fast food drive-through. That's picking up something on the way home from work, something that you don't actually cook, right? Because it's quick, you get that instant gratification. And also I think when you start to notice that you feel a lot of guilt and shame around food, that's when that's a strong indicator that there's some emotional eating and put going on because we shouldn't feel guilt and shame around doing something that we need to literally do to survive, right? We have to eat to live. And if you're feeling guilty and shameful around doing the thing that you need to still survive, then that's a problem. Um, or feeling regretful. A lot of times I used to beat myself up and have a lot of ne negative self-talk around the foods that I was eating and using food as a coping mechanism. Um, and when you allow yourself to just feel the feelings, right? I think a lot of times we're avoiding feeling those feelings. So we're resorting to that as a comfort mechanism. But if you allow yourself to feel those feelings and actually do the inner work, you can really start to eliminate that cycle in your life. And I really had to do that in my own life in order to see those changes. Yeah, they can't see it on, on my side, but the whole time I'm just shaking my head. I'm nodding like, yes, that's exactly it. Um, and something that I teach inside of the CBA, the CBA and with my clients is that concept of what is the actual feeling that you're feeling? Because like you mentioned, sometimes you're not actually eating because you're hungry or it's lunchtime. Right. You're because you're upset or you're angry. And that instant gratification a lot of times is what prevents women from losing weight and from being consistent because like you mentioned before it's almost like we're on autopilot would you agree yes i agree because for me anytime that i gave into my cravings for when i was wanting comfort around feeling any type of feelings that were uncomfortable to me I would literally do it without thinking. I would not take the time to take a step back and think about, okay, what, like you said, what am I really feeling in this moment? Would eating this thing be helpful to me? We don't, we don't go through that thought process. And I think that 
that's what needs to shift in order to see some changes with emotional eating is taking that time out to do that inner work and really get down to the root of why you're feeling that way and figuring out other ways to deal with those feelings versus eating. Because most, most often the food is not going to help us feel any better. It actually makes us feel worse. I don't know about anyone else, but for me, it made me feel worse when I gave into those cravings. Yeah. And it was so interesting having Kristen be a part of the group because I really saw myself in her, my earlier self when I started my fitness journey, because I was the queen of emotional eating. So I know that, I know that people, they look at someone and they'll say, well, how can you be an emotional eater if you're not obese? And that's the thing. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, well, you don't actually have to be obese to be an emotional eater. Like, you know, even normal looking quote unquote people or people who look healthy may be also struggling with that. And I think a lot of that comes from also these beliefs about what health is supposed to look like, or you know, if you're healthy, you can't eat pizza. Right. <laughs> I know we talked a lot about this in the CBA. If you're healthy, you can't have a donut. And because people are telling you that, then you have this guilt about eating something that you enjoy when the reality is, you know, you can eat whatever you want. You just can't eat as much as you want. And we overindulge. Right. And I like how you teach us that in the side of the program, because you will always tell me if you want pizza, eat pizza. But what's driving, you know, that craving, right? So like you said, do that work to figure out, is this just something that I just want at the moment? Or is this something that I am wanting because I'm feeling a certain type of way, you know, and using that to cope with whatever it is. And there's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I know that in your practice, you talk a lot about limiting beliefs. And I think, you know, for me, when I look at, you know, why aren't people able to be consistent and why are they emotional eating? Do you see any links between limiting beliefs and emotional eating? And then like, what is a limiting belief for those who may have never kind of heard that concept? Yeah, absolutely. There's a link. And a limiting belief is literally a belief that is limiting, right? A belief that is holding you back from seeing the changes in your life or pushing forward in your health goals, your career goals, your relationships and things like that. So when we talk about it in the context of nutrition and health, beliefs around food, beliefs around working out and things like that. So for me, I know that I think I shared this with you early on when we first started the program that some of the beliefs that I had was, oh, I'll never be able to, you know, lose the weight and keep it off. So I might as well just keep on living the way I'm living. And that's a limiting belief because that held me back from actually doing the work, showing up and proving myself wrong, right? We have to prove ourselves wrong because the beliefs that we have about ourselves most likely are not accurate, right? They are irrational. And like I said, they hold us back from really living a, a true, fulfilling life. Mm -hmm. And do you ever feel like those limiting beliefs are projected? Like, where are they even coming from? Because I know in my last podcast with Brittany, who's a therapist, we talked a lot about self-sabotage and, um, you know, where are the voices come from? And I feel like everything is a little bit related, right? The self-sabotage, the limiting beliefs. So you said that it's irrational, but where, like, do you have an idea of where they come from or can you help like our listeners figure out like if they have, a, how do you know if it's limiting or if it's just the truth? Like what, how do you know the difference? Right. So I think that they come from 
a number of things, right? So our childhood, our experiences, our relationships, how society, how we get messaging from society and things like that, a lot of it plays into how we start to shape our beliefs over time because we weren't born thinking this way about ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. We picked up these beliefs along the way somehow, somewhere. And the same, that, same way that we learned these beliefs is the same way that we can unlearn them and put them down. We do not have to live our lives based on these beliefs that we have about ourselves. Like we can you know, shift and make changes. We do not have to remain the same. And a lot of people use beliefs and labels to literally stay stuck and stagnant. And I say that they're irrational because a lot of times people use the words, I'll never, or I should, or I don't deserve, I'm not good enough. And in the case of using that word never, that's impossible, right? Because like I said, everything does not have to stay the same. Things can change. Nothing is stuck, right? And I think a lot of times people have a mindset of scarcity or lack or feeling like they can't make any changes in their life and they have to adopt a growth mindset or a mindset of abundance because we literally can do whatever we want to do, right? We can literally change whatever we want to change. We're just standing in our way. So using the word never is irrational because I can literally do what I need to do today to make the changes. I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And I love how you bring up um, your limiting belief of like, I'm never going to lose the weight and keep it off because I remember reading that on your on your intake form and literally you then showing up in the pro like I think you were on your honeymoon the first yes. week we started yes and you were freaking working out in the jungle like I'm like <laughs> yes girl <laughs> you're taking pictures with the trees back you know in the background and it is just a testament to that right which is that irrational thought of I can never do something but then you taking control and saying I can do something Right. And the more that we take that first step and take that leap, the more we're showing ourselves that we can do it, that this is possible, right? That change is possible. And it starts with me believing that I can. Yeah. So let's shift a little bit with a huge struggle um, that a lot of women talk to me about. So many of my clients are professional, busy women of color. So these are doctors, lawyers, moms, nurses, flight attendants, all type of careers. Maybe they have multiple side hustles. They start in businesses. I mean, like you're, you know, you, you were kind of branching out into starting your own practice and doing your own stuff. And I see that a lot with my clients that you're juggling like a million things. Right. And I can totally relate to that. And also I think for me, I've definitely found balance, but I know for a lot of my clients that can be very difficult. So, you know, if, if you're overworked, and you know you're struggling to find balance how would you recommend our listeners to start finding that balance between kind of work and everything else because i know that you did it within the program and i think that you know your experience would definitely benefit some of the ladies listening well it started by me you know facing these beliefs that i had right believing that i had to do all of the things and put myself on the back burner believing that i had to show up 
120% for my clients, for my family, for my friends, but then show up 10% for myself. I don't know where I got that messaging from, but I think a lot of times in society, and especially I see a lot of women of color struggle with this, right? Struggle with this superwoman mentality and feeling like we have to do all the things. And that's just literally not the case. And I think it starts with examining those belief patterns and figuring out, okay, what is this rooted in? Why do I feel like I have to be the person to take care of all of these things? Why do I have to show up for every single person when half the time, none of these people are showing up for me? <laughs> like, why do yes. I feel like that's my responsibility? And really getting down to the root of what's holding us back from seeking that balance and figuring out where that guilt comes from. Because a lot of people feel like it's selfish to take care of yourself and really prioritize yourself. But actually that's the most highest form of being selfless because when we are taking care of ourselves and prioritizing our needs, we're able to show up fully in other ways in our lives. So on the job, in our relationships and things like that with our clients, because for me as a therapist, if I'm not taking care of myself, I'm dozing off in sessions. I'm blanking out and not really listening or being focused because I'm burnt out, I'm drained. So we have to kind of reframe the way we think about caring for ourselves instead of it being selfish, look at it as being selfless. Mm -hmm. And so I love that, first of all. I feel like it's something that I definitely say a lot as well. It's like, it's the opposite of selfish. It's literally the opposite of selfish. So how else would you encourage women to talk themselves out of it other than you know okay it's not selfish like putting it in the different box of okay this is not a selfish thing are there any other recommendations you have about like okay how do I talk myself if I've always had this limiting belief that putting myself first is bad it's negative it's selfish what else could I do to help maybe me shift that belief so along with, like I said, reframing it. So even if you do not literally believe it from day one, because you're not, right? Because like you said, you've been thinking a certain way for years. So that, that belief isn't going to shift overnight. But that belief shifts the more you start acting on whatever it is that needs to be changed. So scheduling your self-care, even if it's five minutes, right? Starting in small increments of five to 10 minutes where you're doing something solely for you and not putting anyone else in that box of time, that's going to allow you to start saying, okay, this felt good. You know, this felt good. And I wouldn't mind if I had more of this. So you start by, like I said, reframing that belief on paper. Cause a lot of times when people write things down, it, it gets real, right? When you see it in front of you, it gets real. So really trying to challenge that belief on paper, but then also doing it by doing different actions, showing up differently. Like I said, breaking it down into small increments of time and then building on those new habits over time. And you talked about this a lot in the CBA program with habit stacking and things like that. All of the things aren't gonna shift overnight right it's going to take time for us to build up these new habits we're adopting new habits we're adopting new identities and we have to give ourselves some grace and compassion along the journey it's not going to be this linear journey but it's going to be us trying something figuring out what works for us and what doesn't what we like what we don't like 
And literally setting boundaries is something else that I think a lot of people struggle with that impacts their ability to take care of themselves and prioritize their needs. And practicing that in your relationships is imperative because boundaries ultimately strengthen relationships. They help relationships. Like I said, it allows us to show up fully in our relationships. So like I said, scheduling out the time for yourself, right? And then continuing to show up for yourself in little ways on a daily basis. And that's going to kind of work to kind of break down that belief little by little, the more you actually partake in that self-care. Yeah. I love how you mentioned the boundaries. That's like major. Right. Um, and, and I think that especially moms, I work with lots of moms too. There is this like mom guilt, which I've never felt cause I'm not a mom, but I feel like as females, as women, we have already like a guilt. Yes. And so I can only imagine what it would feel like when you're responsible for other humans. Like you probably feel it more than the average like single woman. So I have a lot of, you know, empathy towards that. And so two things that kind of triggered me, a question that I want to ask you or two questions that I want to ask you. The first is you talked about how writing it down makes it real. And it made me think about, um, so right now we're actually in one of the cycles of the CBA and I get this a lot where, so I have, as you know, I have everybody write down everything they eat every single week. And at first it's very interesting because I think that as women, like we beat ourselves up first of all, for everything and especially for emotional eating. And I find, especially in this last cycle, that a lot of my clients will be like, oh, well, I had my period today and then I had a shitty day and then I had Oreos and then I had a cupcake. But you know what? I really don't want to write that down (laughs) because I don't want you guys to see (laughs) what I actually did. Um, and And I thought that was so interesting because when I get new clients, one of the first things I ask them is, you know, are you ready to be held accountable? And a huge piece of that is writing down what you eat because it makes it real. Um, and, and I've heard women call it like punitive, like writing down every single thing is punitive. But, you know, what, what was your experience of writing down your meals? And did you have any moments of kind of like, oh, shit, I just overate and I don't want to tell Masi or, you know, the, the Coco, it's like, I don't want to. I don't want to be real with myself. Yeah. Of course. Of course. I had some of those moments, but I knew that I wanted to see some changes. Right. So I knew that in order for me to see some changes, I needed to confront that thing and confronting it is tracking the food, tracking your mood along with your food. Right. Because that's a way that you can overcome emotional eating by being aware A lot of times, like I said, it's so automatic, we aren't aware. And it's important to have that reminder in our face. It's like, oh, like you said, I ate Oreos. I ate this. I ate that. I didn't even realize that I went and grabbed those Oreos because it was so automatic. So now that I'm aware of this, how can I be more intentional about my day tomorrow, right? How can I make sure I prepare my day so that I do not fall off the track with my eating? And I think that was a huge helpful tool in the program. Because with that tracking, I was able to self-correct and able to plan out my my weeks better to set myself up for success. And when you plan out your meals, like there's no room for error because you already have your food ready to go. You're not um, operating out of, you know, like I said, wanting instant gratification because I have food right here and I don't need to go to the drive-thru to fulfill 
my needs, right? Because I knew that I had a plan written. Like I said, when you write it, it gets real. And I was able to stick to it and see the results. So in order to make changes with your eating habits, make changes within your self-care routine, write that thing down. Write out the beliefs that come up around food, around taking care of yourself, and really start to ask yourself, why do I believe this? Like, where's the evidence that's backing this up, right? And a lot of times people can't find evidence. And when I have my clients write things out, a lot of times they're like, wait, I believe this about myself? Like, where does this even come from? And they're just replaying these thoughts over and over and over again without taking the time to be aware, right? And that's what's keeping them in that loop, in that cycle of being stuck. Yeah. So do you think that the feeling guilty or embarrassed, like, would you call those limiting beliefs or something else? I feel that limiting beliefs are triggering those feelings, right? So I think that our thoughts impact the way we feel and then ultimately the way we act, the way we behave. So it's important for us to really dig deep into our thought patterns so that we can feel differently. And then show up differently in our actions. Got it. Got it. I love that. And then the the other question I had for you was you talked about about boundaries. And I know that um, for you in the program, that was something that you were trying to, I think, and I think all of us do it right in in different kind of seasons in our lives. So if we're changing job roles or, you know, we're starting a new job or starting a new business. And I think for you, you were at that point where, you had so many clients and you were like, all right, like I need to do something different. So how did you go about setting boundaries, especially because I want to mention this, a lot of my clients tend to be in the helping positions, like helping um, professions. So caretakers, nurses, therapists. So how do you as a therapist set boundaries when your job is to give to other people? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I really had to start thinking about it in a different way. Like if I am not well, I can't show up 100% for my clients. And I started to notice myself, like I said, dozing off or if I'm seeing eight to 10 clients in a day, that's too much. And I found myself getting tired and feeling burnt out. And I said, something has to change. And I can't, you know, continue to feel bad about prioritizing myself, because prioritizing myself is actually helping my clients, right? And why did I think that my clients would struggle without me? (laughs) They were fine before they met me and started working with me. They'll be fine if I set a boundary with them, right? It's not my job to show up for them every single moment of the day. So how can I establish a different schedule to where I am not overbooking myself? Because when I overbook myself, I don't feel good. And then that impacts my work. And I do not want my work to be impacted, right? We're, we're overachievers and we're high achieving, ambitious women. And the easiest way for our work to be impacted is by not taking care of ourselves. So the very thing that we strive for, right, with our careers and things like that, we are self-sabotaging by not prioritizing our needs and setting boundaries. So looking for ways that you can alter your schedule, right? How can I alter my work schedule? Or how can I make sure that I'm not bringing work home, separating work and home? 
because when you're home, you have other responsibilities. You have to cook dinner. You may have to spend time with your loved ones. How can you make sure you're not letting that work bleed into that, separating it and making sure that you are expressing your needs to others your, in your relationships? A lot of times we let people dictate what we do, what we're eating, where we're going. If we don't feel like doing these things, we can say no to our loved ones. They'll get over it. <laughs> they'll get over it and they'll continue on with their lives. They may still go out and do whatever it is that they wanted to do with you. You have to say no and express your needs. And a lot of times us women, we feel like guilt and, res and we feel, start to feel resentment towards our loved ones, right? Because we are not clearly communicating with them. So we can't be mad at them when we aren't telling them what we need. And in order for us to feel better in our relationships and in our work and in our just our lives in general we have to communicate our needs I love that I love that about you know the resentment that we feel because girl I've been there okay um I've been there of like the overextending and saying yes to everybody and I think you make such a good point too in terms of the boundaries of like when you're working with others whether it's clients or your kids or whatever it's like you know, they're going to be fine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like we don't have to be super women to every single person. And I think that oftentimes, you know, as women of color, we have been brought up to feel like if we don't step in, like a disaster is going to happen when the reality is that is just creating codependency. And yes, then, you know, your clients don't end up being independent or your kids don't end up being independent or your friends or your partner, because you're always stepping in to save the day. But as adults, we got to let people, you know, spread their wings and do their thing. Right. I had to check a client yesterday on this because she has an adult sister and, and she has been enabling her. Right. And, but she wants her to be independent and wants her to move out, but she keeps stepping in and saving the day. And it's like, how is she going to learn if you keep stepping in? So it's important for us to really take a step back and really evaluate how we want our lives to look, right? Do some visualization exercises, figuring out what your dream life consists of, and then start making the changes to make sure you're living your dream life now. Like we are ultimately in control of living the lives that we want. Like I said, it starts by us prioritizing ourselves and communicating our needs to other and just showing up for ourselves and just being more kind to ourselves. Like us women, we beat ourselves up so, so much, right? And that isn't helping us. Beating ourselves up isn't helping us achieve that goal. It's just um, putting us 10 steps, you know, backward. It's not helping us lose the weight. It's not helping us uh, be more successful in our careers or in our relationships. So if it's not helping us, why are we even doing it? Why are we engaging in that, right? So making sure that we are changing the language that we use to describe ourselves and it starts there. Like I said, it starts with our thought patterns and then those behaviors will start to shift the more you start challenging those beliefs. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. So one of the amazing things that you've actually started this year with your community is something about journaling. It's like a challenge. So tell us a little bit about the challenge and what's the purpose of it and how, how would it help? Yeah, so the challenge is called the Journal Therapy Challenge, and it is 30 days of writing, 
So like I said, writing makes things real. And a lot of times people avoid feeling these feelings and addressing these things because it makes them uncomfortable. And the more you write and the more you feel uncomfortable and outside of your comfort zone, the more change you will start to see in your life. Like nothing is going to change inside of your comfort zone. So I created this challenge for women to be able to face their fears, face their deepest secrets, face their, you know, the strongest limiting beliefs that they have about themselves so that they can really thrive in their lives and fulfill the things that they want to do. Because if you do not face it, it's not going to happen. The change is not going to happen. So 30 days of writing for women, and we're touching on everything from limiting beliefs, fears, um, relationships, physical health, mental health, our habits, our routines, and really figuring out, okay, what changes can I make in order to see the results that I want in every single area of my life? Yes. And I actually, so I think maybe was this past year, I started incorporating more uh, writing, especially for my private clients who I have a longer time with. So we can really like dig deep into like, why are you doing things? Like, why are you emotionally eating? Why are you self-sabotaging? Because if we don't know why, then we can't fix it. And it's been very transformational um, for women, even if they're not seeing a therapist, because like you said, it puts it, it makes it real. Putting it on paper makes it real. So I actually did have a client who reached out to me. She's like, I signed up for Chris's challenge and it's already amazing. <laughs> like it's already changing my life. So I want to encourage you all who are listening to sign up for Kristen's challenge. It is free 30 days and you can go to www.hertherapyspace.com slash journal therapy and sign up because it's, it really is a tangible thing that you can change when you are able to put your thoughts on paper, whether that is with your emotional eating, your self-sabotage, you know, your limiting beliefs, it's, it's something different when you can see it and you wrote it. Like, it's not like someone wrote it. You wrote it. So you'll <laughs> right. see, like a lot of my clients will be like, damn, I'm like an asshole to myself. You know, right. I'm really mean. I'm mean to myself. And I think it's important that we address our limiting beliefs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, you do not have to have a professional on hand right now in order to see some changes, right? You can get in control of this stuff now on your own by facing it, by getting uncomfortable and doing the necessary work that it takes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us on the podcast. And thank you for having me. Of course. And tell us what is, if there's like one nugget if someone listens to this whole podcast and we're like, oh my God, there's so much information. I took notes. Like if there's one last nugget that you could leave someone with, if they forget everything you said, but just stay with one thing, what would that thing be that you want them to leave this episode with? Um, I think that one thing is that we ultimately are in control. A lot of times we feel out of control when it comes to our eating, when it comes to our habits. and that's just an excuse. That's just an excuse. We are the ones that are in control of those things. So if we take the time to actually take a step back and think before acting, we'll see a lot of shifts in our life happen because we are acknowledging that we have that power. We have that control to see those changes. 
So I want women to step away from this feeling empowered to go out there and face their fears and to get uncomfortable to live the life of their dreams. Like you can make it happen today. Yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you again so much for joining us, Kristen. And where can people find you? So I did mention your Instagram earlier, Herd Therapy Space. Um, and I know that you also have a private practice where you can take clients if they live in Washington, D.C. So how can people find you if they want more information? Yeah, so people can follow me on Her Therapy Space. They can also go to hertherapyspace.com for more information on therapy sessions if you are in the D.C. area. But I also have another page on Instagram, my personal brand, and then it's Kristen Sutton LPC. And that's where I just uh, share a lot of my thoughts, a lot of things that I hear with my clients, a lot of limiting beliefs. So sometimes I'm dropping literally limiting, literally word for word, limiting beliefs that people are sharing with me and kind of dispelling those and challenging those in my posts, in my captions. So follow me there if you want more information. And then also just join the journal therapy challenge to keep up with me. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you so much. This was amazing. You officially made it to the end of this podcast episode. Please share this with someone you think might find it helpful. And if you're on the gram, take a screenshot, post and tag me on your stories so I can connect with you more. And to get notified on the next episode here on Get Fit with Masi, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening.